Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Your time is the most important gift you could ever give anybody. And the fact that you would choose to invest your time here is really a blessing to us all. The gift of one another's presence is holy and sacred. And it reminds us to be important in how we are using and investing our time. We are acknowledging the birth of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King today, who was born in 1929. And yet, we would also want to remember that Anne Frank was born in 1929, and Barbara Walters was born in 1929. It is conceivable all three of them could have made it this far with us. Two of them had their lives cut way too short by hatred and ignorance and all the worst of humanity. So we've come together today on this holiday weekend to acknowledge the import of our time and the gifts that each one of us has to offer. And whether or not we have 90 plus years or just teenage years, everyone matters, everyone contributes, everyone is important and worthy of respect and appreciation. And as we have seen with all three of these individuals, even though they are now no longer with us, they continue to impact us and make us more conscious and aware. And it is my affirmation, better people. So what do you think about? What image comes to mind when you think about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King? the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott, the 1963 March on Washington. Were any of you here for that? Amen. The 1964 Nobel Peace Prize, the 1965 March to Selma, perhaps the 30 times he was arrested or maybe a particular interview or a speech or a sermon. Maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is his surveillance by the FBI or his assassination in 1968. It was President Reagan who signed the birthday of Martin Luther King holiday into law in 1983, and it was first observed three years later in 1986. Though initially some states resisted observing the holiday as such, giving it alternative names or combining it with other holidays. It was in the year 2000, 17 years after being signed into law, it was officially observed by all 50 states for the first time, also known as 23 years ago. It's easy, well, perhaps easier for some than others, to look back over the 50 years and hold an idealized image of the man and his efforts to live in a world in which he and his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, 
but by the content of their character. But Dr. King, like all human beings, had flaws, and some of them were big. And he also had a vision fueled by his deep and profound faith that kept him going in dark and dangerous times. Considering the innumerable threats to his life, and one that ultimately took his life on April 4th, 1968. In his final speech, you may recall, given in support of striking sanitation workers in Memphis on April 3rd of 1968, he closed by saying these words, like anybody, I would love to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I listened to that speech this morning on my way in. Tears in my eyes, thinking about this image of the promised land, because he wasn't only speaking to the sanitation workers. He was speaking to everyone about this vision of the promised land and what it could be. And he described it in any number of different ways throughout his career and his ministry. And it's very similar to the vision statement we hold here at Unity of Fairfax, which goes that centered in divine love, we envision a world awakened to peace, abundance, and respect for all creation. He put it this way in his Nobel Peace Prize speech. Sooner or later, all the people of the world will have to discover a way to live together in peace and thereby transform this pending cosmic elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. If this is to be achieved, man must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. Still, I wonder how he would address the current issues of our day. I wonder how he would be perceived if he were alive today. I wonder what actions he would promote in order to manifest the promised land right here and right now. Pulitzer Prize award-winning author Robin Given suggested answers to these very questions in a Washington Post editorial that was published last year. And this is what she said, and I found it very insightful and a bit concerning. King was only 39 years old when he died. And while he was more liberal than radical, it's hard to imagine that he would be so revered if he were a 30-something activist today. 
a black man, marching in the streets and advocating for fair wages, voting rights, racial justice, and a more equitable form of capitalism. He and his fellow protesters would likely be blamed for stirring the pot and creating upheaval in places where everything was just fine before they showed up spouting their un-American ideas, which is exactly what happened in his day. She went on to say in the same essay, everyone lays claim to King's legacy with such certitude that if as many people marched alongside him in the 1960s as have said they did, there would have been virtually no one standing on the sidelines wielding batons casting aspersions. The dream of which Dr. King spoke would be a reality. And the January holiday in his honor would be a celebration of the American experiment's completion rather than a remembrance of a promise yet to be fulfilled. But we like our history pretty. Well, fortunately for us, sometimes history is pretty. And sometimes it is not. And history is neither for us nor against us. It just is. These are things that happened. However, as recent public discourse has shown, candid discussion of American history is fraught with angst, avoidance, and politicization. But it doesn't need to be that way. Dr. King once famously said, in a sermon entitled Love and Forgiveness in 1964, these profound words, nothing is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. <laughs> Let's repeat that. Nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Unfortunately, it would seem, at least to me, that a cursory reading of news headlines would seem to indicate that that consciousness is very active in the world today as much as it was in his time. However, lest any one of us come to think too highly of ourselves as being above all that or lower than others, Dr. King warned that in everyone there is something good in the worst of us, and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. What he's talking about, what he talked about was self-awareness. Just being aware of who we truly are, and never forgetting that goodness is at the core of everyone even the ones who hide it very effectively from our point of view. So how does this holiday that honors the birth of Reverend Dr. King relate to the truth principles we teach at Unity? And my answer to my own question is, how much time do you have? <laughs> it is intimately related to how we see our world out there and our inner world. Because central to all New Thought teaching is the importance of knowing the truth about ourselves. And the truth is that each and every one of us is an individualized expression of the creative magnificence of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Hallelujah, Hallelujah sister. 
However, too often people, and I mean this in the general sense, don't know that that's the truth of who they are. For some folks, to hear those sort of words is brand spanking new. Or for some folks, if they have been told their, about their inherent goodness, they either don't believe it because they've been taught repeatedly something else, or they don't believe it because it simply seems too good to be true. And what do we tell people about something? If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Not this time. This is our fundamental truth in unity. Or we may want to believe that we are individualized expressions of the creative magnificence of the universe, but owing to our own personal histories, that ain't possible. Or owing to our addictions, we don't think there's no way that could be true. But one thing that Dr. King, King was keen on, and that was telling the truth. Not to blame or shame, but to heal and reveal, to heal the broken parts and to reveal that magnificence and the possibilities for us as individuals and for our entire world. He said, on some positions, cowardice asks the question, is it expedient? And then expedience comes along and asks the question, is it politic? Vanity then asks the question, is it popular? Conscience asks the question, is it right? There comes a time when one must take the position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular. But he must do it because conscience tells him it is right. Right. True that. We must tell the truth if we wish to heal from the past. We must tell the truth if we want to transform the present. We must tell the truth if we want to create a brighter and better future. It's just as true on the collective level as it is on the individual level. Case in point. The 12 steps as practiced by AA, Al-Anon, and the many other programs of recovery. You see, in these programs, whose promise is the restoration of sanity, one must do a searching and fearless moral inventory and then share it with somebody else. These are steps four and five. The purpose is not to convict the person doing the inventory, the person is to, purpose is to liberate the person doing the inventory. It's not unlike the intention behind the spiritual practice of confession. In fact, that's really what it is. It's an honest telling of the truth of what was and what is, so that what can be can truly be the promised land of our own minds the promised land of our own world, a future metaphorically overflowing with milk and honey. 
communities and even nations have engaged in this sort of healing transformative work. And within our unity movement, we have a conflict resolution process called HOP-PROF, healing our past, creating our future. So for ministries that are in conflict, that process is used. And in the world today, over 50 nations have impaneled truth and reconciliation commissions to help recover from painful pasts. One of the most famous being the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission to heal from the wounds of apartheid, which was chaired in 1985 by Nobel Peace Prize winner, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu. However, and here's the rub, there is a rub, not everybody consciously wants to transform or change. And as they say in 12-step program, there are some people who are even constitutionally incapable of working our program. Doesn't mean they're not inherently good. They are. It's just something they're not going to do. For some people, the idea of change is anathema because they like their lives just as they are. And they like the, and the idea of social change and transformation is anathema to various and sundry groups, for it would seem to portend a loss of power and prestige and position. They haven't realized what we teach in unity and new thought about prosperity, that there is more than enough good to go around without anybody needing to hoard it and keep it for themselves or for their group. Sometimes for some groups, the talk of transformation boils down to some basic fears. And it's not just groups, it's individuals. It's even been this guy on occasion. Probably will be again in the future. Something about my humanity shows up. But, when we, but what are these fears? The fear is that my limited sense of self doesn't want to change because if I change, my limited self of sense dies. Therefore, I resist change because I don't want to die. Some level, that is something that is experienced by many individuals. And some groups don't want to change because if they change, then there's a perception that group will die. Therefore, we resist change. Maybe some groups or organizations you're familiar with have resisted changing. Just ask a faith community to change to change a fat, cherished belief. Oh, my goodness. American theologian Leonard Sweet once said, what is the difference between a living thing and a dead thing? In the medical world, the clinical definition of death is a body that does not change. Change is life. Stagnation is death. If you don't change, you die. It's that simple, it's that scary. So why all this talk about change and history and personal inventories and holidays? Why are we talking about that in church? I have a belief. My belief is that we shine the light on the past and the present so that we can enlighten the future. 
We shine light on the past and the present so that we may enlighten the future. Anybody here want a brighter future than we've had? Anybody, anybody, is it just me? Okay, some of you. Great. Okay. The rest of you will come along. I want a bright future. I want to live. I mean, more than that, I want to thrive. I want us all to thrive together in the promised land of the here and now. I don't ever want to open up another newspaper and read about a famine that could have been avoided. I don't want to read about another invasion because dictator A wanted the land of country B. I don't want to read about that anymore. I don't want to read about people not being able to vote. I don't want to read about people having to live near toxic waste dumps. I want a bright future where everybody thrives because that is possible. It's like that old dictum we say in Unity and New Thought. Whatever we can believe, we can conceive, we can achieve. It might seem pie in the sky, but there is a reason the promised land is an image that is still powerful and profound for us, just as it was for the Israelites all those thousands of years ago. And as Dr. King said, I may not get there with you, but we're getting there. There is enough good for everyone. So that's how I interpret the life and the legacy of Dr. King. A brilliant and flawed human being, grounded in faith, committed to action. He used his foundation in, in faith to do the work of building a world that works for everyone. And yes, that work included preaching. I should take lessons. <laughs> Organizing. Fundraising. We're going to raise an offering in a little bit, so that one's coming up. Marching, getting arrested, calling out hypocrisy and systemic inequalities, and being in the, the recipient of all manner of threats and hate speech. Who's in? Anybody want to, who's in with me on that? All right. It's easier to be comfortable, isn't it? Let somebody else do the work. Every reformer in every age, in every country, encounters pushback. Jesus did. It's all over the scriptures. He was not always uniformly welcomed, or his words were not always appreciated. You see, think about it for yourself. Every effort at self-reform and self-improvement that any one of us takes encounters pushback along the way. Has anybody here ever started a diet? Now, nobody wants to start a diet. How about an exercise plan? Yeah, there's pushback. The couch is really comfortable. What about a savings plan? <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to go out and buy stuff. I don't want to save money for a later good. Yeah, so there's pushback. There's that. And what we're talking about ultimately isn't popular, isn't about particular groups or individuals. It's just human nature that for every, it's physics, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So there you go. But it's not a reason to stop. Not at all. It is just a reminder for us to become more aware of our own internal systems and paradigms, as well as the ones externally to us. 
the great reformers of all day have encountered pushback. Think about Mahatma Gandhi. Think about Archbishop Tutu. Think about Dr. King. Think about all the women who worked for voting rights in this country. But at least with the first group, they were all faith leaders, Dr. King, Mahatma Gandhi, Archbishop Tutu. And they affirmed over and over and over the utter necessity of being grounded in love when doing the work. And maybe they got that idea from somebody else. So, you know, when maybe there was a common source of inspiration. I read once in a book, and the letters were red, and it said something like, love one another and pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. It goes back to Jesus. There is no way to the promised land or to the beloved community or the Sangha or a world that works for everyone that is not grounded in love for everyone. So I want to close today with a few words of Dr. King's on this point from a sermon entitled Loving Your Enemies that he delivered to the Detroit Council of Churches in 1961. The other thing that we must do in order to love the enemy neighbor is this. We must seek at all times to win his friendship and understanding rather than to defeat or humiliate him. There may come a time when it will be possible for you to humiliate your worst enemy or even defeat him. But in order to love your enemy, you must not do it. For in the final analysis... Love means understanding goodwill for all men and a refusal to defeat any individual. And so somehow love makes it possible for you to place your vision and to center your activity on the evil system and not the individual enemy who may be caught up in that system. And so you feed it set out to defeat segregation and not the segregationist. You set out to defeat the evil system of communism, but not the communist. And there is a great deal of difference there. And there must be an act of love for the individuals who may be caught up in an evil, unjust system while we continue to work passionately and unrelentingly to do away with the system itself. There's much work for us to be done on our path to the promised land. Let us do it with love. And in expressing our love for all humanity and for ourselves, we will continue to honor his life and his legacy. So this week, your homework is twofold. Look within to see if there are ways in which you are being unloving and unkind to yourself. And be willing to forgive yourself for every unkind word or action you have ever said or taken against yourself. Just say, I release that part so that I can be liberated. 
and look at the world around you to see if there are unjust systems where you can be a voice for love and truth and let your voice be heard so that we might free ourselves collectively from any system that prevents the promised land from being expressed and lived by us all. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.